the economy in the United States has been quite an interesting discussion for years now. In fact, I think the economy will probably be uh, maybe the most debated issue in the next political cycle among many other issues. (laughs) And we know that for the economy, the whole issue of unemployment is, is kind of at the center of that whole discussion all the factors that go into it. And for various reasons, unemployment continues to be a problem for the stability of our economy and losing one's job. I mean, it can be some of the most stressful moments of a person's life to lose a job, to be out of work, to be looking for work struggling in that area. Am I right? Even the thought of it, for me, keeps me up at night sometimes. It's a real trial. We need to be mindful of our brothers and sisters in this church who struggle in that area, maybe praying for them, even creating opportunities for them. But hear this. There ought not to be such a thing as unemployment in Christ's church. Yes, during hard times, all variety of hard times that we've experienced as a church, you've experienced as families during hard times, even personally, there's a great temptation to pull away from the church because hard times bring discouragement. And being part of the body when you're discouraged is what you need, but it's really difficult. It's counterintuitive. So we're tempted during the pressure, during the trials and the sufferings, right, to pull away, to go it alone. Check out of the church. We're tempted to become spiritually unemployed. But this is not the Spirit of God at work. For Peter, a book about suffering and standing firm in the grace of God together in the midst of suffering, the theme of the book, for Peter teaches that suffering as a Christian act to actually promote and propel service for one another. Suffering begets, gives birth to service in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that time and time again in the last four weeks that we need each other during this hard road home to heaven. I think it culminates. I think these four activities culminate with verses 10 and 11. We need to be employed using our gifts in this church during the hard road home to heaven. That's the great theme of our passage. And to unpack that this morning, we're going to look at five aspects of gifts 
five aspects of spiritual gifts that are found in verses 10 and 11. We better get to it. Number one, the recipients of the gifts. Okay, if you have an outline, you can fill it in if you'd like. The, the passage, by the way, for our visitors is in the handout. If you didn't find it in the Bible, the text is right there in the handout for you. Number one, the recipients of the gifts. Who receives a gift? Who receives a spiritual gift? Christian, do you have a spiritual gift? Do you have a spiritual gift? Look at verse 10. Let's settle this. As each one has received, a special gift. Special is in italics in the New American Standard. It's not in the Greek text. I in particular have a problem with it, but it says in the Greek text, as each one has received a gift. Who receives a gift? Each one. Each believer in Jesus Christ has received a gift or gifts, plural. Every single individual born-again Christian has received a spiritual gift. Peter doesn't say if each one has received a gift, but makes this a statement of absolute fact. Each one has received a special gift. Let that sink in. We have to start here. I think this is where many go wrong. Christian, you have a spiritual gift. No doubt about it. Scripture is clear. And I think that's pretty exciting. I think that is an exciting thought. Isn't it? It's kind of disappointing. I could use Christmas illustrations year-round. I love it. It's kind of disappointing, though, when you're expecting to get a gift under the tree, right? and everyone's opening up their gifts, and everyone's opening up their gifts, and you don't have a gift. It was one of the big trials of my early 20s. <laughs> Where's my gift? Uh, you're grown up now. Bomber. Christian, there's a gift under the tree for you. You're not disappointed. Each one of you has received at least one spiritual gift. Now, right away we're derailed on this topic because right now you're saying, okay, what are spiritual gifts? How do I know what my spiritual gift is? And how do I use it? Is every gift uh, available today or not? And so on and so forth, and so much controversy over the spiritual gifts in the life of the church that we miss the point. We all have a gift, and we miss some of the key principles in that question. The basic point here is you have a spiritual gift. And so the question that Peter is asking, and that I'm asking every one of you in this room, is this Are you just going to stare at it under the tree? Or are you going to open it up and use it? You say, well, what in the world is a spiritual gift? Good question. That leads us to our second point. 
Number one, the recipients of the gifts, each one. Number two, the nature of the gifts. Okay, so let's talk about the gift or gifts. The word translated gift in verse 10 is the Greek word charisma. What does charisma mean? It's an interesting word. It means a gift. But at the root of the word and of the idea of a gift is the word grace. Grace. The emphasis on this gift that we have each received is is something that has been graciously given to us, a a divine favor that's been freely granted. There's a freeness in this word. There's a graciousness there, a benefit that has been freely bestowed upon you. At the heart of this word, translated gift, is grace, unmerited favor from God to you. It's amazing. So let me just give you a definition of the word gift to maybe get us started. So write this down if you're fast. The gift, a gift is a supernatural endowment, and in the, maybe we have to look that word up as well, a supernatural endowment from God given for the good of his people. It's a supernatural endowment from God to you given for the good of of his people. And I think this is confirmed, this definition and this concept of grace is confirmed at the end of verse 10. Take a look at it. Okay? As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving in serving one another as good stewards of what? As good stewards of this is almost a definition of a gift. A good steward of what is a gift? The manifold grace of God the varied, multicolored, multifaceted grace of God. We're good stewards of that. Listen to this. The gift that you have been given is is going to be to others an expression of the grace of God, of the manifold grace of God. The gift that God has given you is a conduit of God's grace to others for their spiritual good. So, implications of the word gift here and grace. Okay, this is important. You did not earn this gift. The spiritual gift that you possess, you did not earn it because it's a gift. (laughs) Watch this. This whole idea, this is the freeness of God's grace and distribution. You cannot do enough good things to purchase it. You cannot pray that you would receive it. You can't in any manner generate it or prepare for it or even train for the reception of this gift. If every single Christian, let's say you're reading this, you got born again five minutes ago. Every single believer in Jesus Christ has received a gift, a divine enablement given freely to him or her graciously by God for others. And so then, the spiritual gift 
is not something you earn or work up or seek after. They are given to you as a package from God the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the moment you were born again at conversion, part of the package of God's grace to you in Christ and salvation is the gracious giving of a spiritual gift or gifts. That would sort out a lot of things if we really understood that truth. It's a sovereign distribution of the gifts of the Spirit. This is confirmed for us by one word in verse 10. Find it. Here it is. As each one has, what? Received. Now, parents do buy their own gifts and then wrap them up and put them under the Christmas tree. That's how desperate we are. That's not how it works with God's gifts. No, no, we receive them. We don't earn them. Or No, no. They're freely given. That word received is huge here. We've received gifts. We don't take gifts. We don't make gifts. We receive gifts. So that translation gift from the word charisma is very appropriate here. It's God's grace. So I think you guessed it. From whom have you received the gift? We've received it. Okay, you have good theology here. We've received it from God. Look at the end of verse 10. The man, here's the definition of a gift. Verse 10, the manifold grace of God or the grace from God. The source is God. Verse 11, he speaks the very utterances of God. He who serves, serves with the strength that God supplies because he's giving it, because it's his gift, it's his enablement. God is the giver. We are the receiver of gifts at conversion. And you have one if you're converted to Jesus Christ. This is all from God. This is all about God. In another passage of the Scripture, especially the one that Jeremy read, we realize that in the divine councils, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is the unique giver of spiritual gifts. Okay, I wish the Universal Church of Christ would wake up to just some of the basic principles in this verse from the very beginning. Number one, you have a gift. It's from God. You didn't work for it or work it up. It's grace. You received it the moment you were born again. These gifts are from God, for God, and through God. But why? Why? That leads us to our third Point. Third aspect of spiritual gifts from this text, number three, the use of the gifts. The use of the gifts. Okay, let's find it again. Look at back to verse 10. I'm going to let you read it on your own. Read it. Just take a second. A little downtime. There's one word in verse 10 that sums up the use of the gifts. You found it. Verse 10, as each one has received a special gift, here it is, employ it. Employment? Employ it in serving one another. As, now we get a picture of the service. As 
Here's a little metaphor we'll learn. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The one word that tells us the use of the gifts is serving. We employ our gifts for serving one another. The purpose of spiritual gifts, listen, is not to edify yourself. Let it sink in. It is not the purpose of spiritual gifts to edify yourself. Will you have joy in using your spiritual gifts? Yes. Will you be edified in the use of spiritual gifts? Yes. That's different than saying the purpose of spiritual gifts is for your edification. Very different. The byproduct is not the purpose. The purpose of spiritual gifts is serving others within this church. It's crucial Do you hear that distinction. It would eliminate much of the abuses within the church in regards to spiritual gifts. It's so important a point, I want to give you two other references and underline that point. Number one, number one reference, don't turn there, just write it down. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, But to each one, there it is again, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, watch this, for the common good. Why are you given a manifestation of the Spirit? For the common good. Okay, another one. Uh, just write the reference down, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Seek to abound for the edification of the church. So God has given you a divine enablement to serve others within this church. Not to puff up your self-esteem, but to serve others. The use of the spiritual gift, then, is to serve others. You say, well, what does that look like? Let's... let's fill this out. Well, Peter fills it out by giving us an illustration. Thankfully, it starts with another S. We serve others how? As, here's the picture, as what? Stewards of the gifts or stewards of the manifold grace of God, which is what gifts are. Stewards. We serve as stewards. That's the use of the gifts. What then is a steward? We got to know what a steward is to really get this. So let's talk about stewardship and stewards. In the New Testament times, that was su- everyone knew what, a, what stewardship was, what, what a steward was. So I don't think we know as much about that. So let me try to explain it. A steward, so let's say you owned, you're the owner of an estate, and it's got all kinds of people that work for you on the ground of various aspects of the estate. It's just a pretty much a small business. It's huge. It's a compound. And, and you got the owner and you've got the people carrying it out, but you got someone in the middle distributing the rations and the monies and the stuff and all of the stuff the owner has, the resources and their land and their food and their supplies and all of that's got to get down to the people on the ground forwarding the mission of the great owner. And so he hires a steward. 
to do that job. It's got to be a tough job. Middleman between God and others. What are the resources that we steward? The manifold grace of God. It says it. Stewards of grace. You like that? Stewards of grace. God has given us gifts, and he desires us to be faithful to manage our spiritual gifts wisely and to use them obediently dispensing his resources to his household as stewards. If I were given $100,000 by the owner of a property and told to manage it wisely and, uh, of this whole property and there are people working there, I would need to invest that money. I would need to spend it on things that promoted the owner's vision. I need to build up his household, expanding his influences. I'd have to use the gifts as a good steward of the gifts. There's so much to be said about the stewardship of the spiritual gift that God has given you. I can't even go there. I'm trying to convince us that we have one. So let's go to the bare minimum here. If we're going to be a steward of the gift that God has given us, then we must use it in the household of God. Do you see that? We've got to, now I get, how do I do that? How do I use it? What is it? All of that. Put that aside. First thing, you got it. You have one. And you've got to use it to be a steward of the gift of God. You cannot refuse to use your gift and be a good steward at the same time. It's impossible. It's like that parable of the, of the steward, right? Takes the money and buries it. Didn't go well. Use it. You're supposed to take my rations, faithful steward, and dispense them to the household. The rations of God's grace to the household as a good steward. You remember what Jesus said. I'll just read it in Luke chapter 12, verse 41. And Peter was asking the question. I think this parable, this situation was on Peter's mind when he penned his epistle in Luke chapter 12, verse 41, if you want to write that reference down. And Jesus said in verse 42, who then is the faithful and sensible steward? Where are they? Who is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants, master, servants, steward in the middle, to give them their rations at the proper time? A faithful steward gives out the rations of the grace of God at the proper time. He's a faithful steward. Blessed is the slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. If we are faithful stewards of the manifold grace of God, of the gracious, if we have been enabled um, to, to do good for others, then we better identify and utilize our spiritual gifts in this church or we will not be faithful stewards. That's the first point. So, a good steward exercises his gift. Is that clear, that part? A good steward exercises his or her gift. Okay, let me say it this way. Good stewards are stewards. 
They're, they're employed as stewards. And good stewards are working as stewards. You can't be unemployed in the church of God. It's a divine imperative, by the way. I mean, we, as each one has received a special gift, employ it. That's called an imperative. In the Greek text, that's a command from Peter to the churches. So, if God has gifted you to preach, you had better preach. If God has gifted you to give, you had better give. If God has gifted you to serve, and or, and we see this in Romans chapter 12 in verse 6. I just want to show you this. In Romans 12, verse 6, since we have gifts, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. You have it, the same command that Paul uses. Let's do it. Employ them. So, this gift is about serving others. Um, This is not a competition over spiritual gifts. I've seen Christian empires built around one person's spiritual gift. I've seen Christian empires torn down in a day because of one person employing their spiritual gifts. It's easy to use these gifts, even genuine gifts, for personal gratification, for personal glory, for a pat on the back, and even a paycheck. But brothers and sisters, this is not the use of the spiritual gifts. Gifts are not about us at all. They are for others unto the glory of God. Gifts are serving up God's grace to others. Now, I need to clarify that because everyone's panicking. Christian, before I clarify, let it sink in. This is what the text said. This is the oracle of God. You, Christian, are one of the primary ways God gives grace to other Christians. Let me explain. Did you not preach the gospel to someone? And then the Lord, right, using you, opened up their eyes to believe. It was His grace. He opened their heart. He gave them salvation. And, they, and you remember back to the past grace given to you. God saved you. And we, and we look forward to future grace that it will be revealed to us at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ when all of the stuff about our redemption that is just partway done will be completely and finally fulfilled. When we see Him, we'll be like Him. So there's a future grace to come. But do you realize that in the in-between time, we are in need of God's grace? We are in need of of divine enablement. This is the grace, is God's power. It's God's strength. It's a taste of his goodness. It's seeing his glory that impels you to live out and to hope for the salvation that has been finished in the work of Jesus. We need this grace daily. Daily grace. Let me tell you what I mean. You're having a hard time at work. Lord, you say it all the time. Lord, please give me grace. Okay? Lord, I'm having a great difficulty at home with my unsaved husband. Lord, give me. Lord, 
I'm suffering ridicule for sharing the gospel with my best friend. I've now lost my best friend. I, I, should I even done, maybe I should have said nothing. Lord, give me grace. Lord, I don't know what to do about this other person's sin. This relationship is so hard. I don't want, Lord, give me grace. Lord, I've been feel so worn out lately. Like, I want to give up. I want to, I want to quit. Lord, help me. Give me grace. Present grace is needed. And what I want you to see from this text is that God has answered your prayer primarily through the activity and exercise of other faithful believers using their spiritual gifts, serving you, stewarding God's grace to you. Did you hear that? This is the purpose of spiritual gifts, how we need each other. We pray for grace in our prayer closet, but we forsake the assembling together. Dan, I, once again, we were blessed by God to call it grace groups. It sounded cute at the time, but now we know. What a wonderful opportunity is grace groups to employ your spiritual gift in serving one another. In fact, that is a stated purpose of the grace groups, to have a context, to use our spiritual gifts in the service of each other. What a privilege it is to be God's tool, God's, like a, a tool to dispense at the present time God's grace to my brothers and sisters. This is what our scripture reading was all about in the body metaphor. That's all it is. It's one body connected together. One person is in, and another person is a, and then there's always the big and then there's the elbow, and there's the kneecap, and we are all sovereignly called and put together, working together, right? So that this body would work together and go forward. In fact, we're so united in that. When one hurts, we hurt. And when one is excited, we're excited. We're one body. That's the whole point. We're all necessary and integral in order for the body to function well. The body to function well is sanctification. It's moving forward for the glory of Christ. Christian, you are one of the primary ways God distributes his enablement, his enabling grace to believers today. And that is exciting. That is exciting. Certainly wants me to figure out a little bit more about spiritual gifts. So to that we turn, it leads us to the fourth point, the categories of the gifts. Let's, let's get to it now. Let's get practical. I hope that was practical, but now let's get to it in this text, the categories of the gifts. In verse 11, Peter gives two examples of the spiritual gifts, which I do think uh, are two broad and general categories for the spiritual gifts. And let's see if you can see the two categories as I read verse 11. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving 
by the strength which God supplies. There you go. You got it. The two categories of gifts are what? Speaking and serving gifts. I think that's sustainable right in the text. Now, let's talk then about each in turn, the speaking gifts. This is not talking necessarily about casual conversation with speaking. Peter has in view preaching and teaching God's Word, preaching, teaching, exhortation. These are spiritual gifts. These are speaking gifts, whether you're speaking to a whole congregation, a small group, or one-on-one. Our spiritual gift is to speak the oracles of God, the Word of God. Now, that phrase, the oracles of God, is a technical expression that refers to the very words God has given His people. It's rooted in the Old Testament. And so, preachers and teachers endeavor to speak what? God's Word. It's incredible that those who teach and preach Christ, whether they're large group, small group, one-on-one, are to represent God's Word to the community of believers. We need to speak, understanding that we are engaged in a very important issue when we come to the Word of God, and I'm going to say, thus saith the Lord right here. It binds your conscience. It binds my conscience. Don't be binding my conscience apart from the Word of God. No, thank you. Check, please. We bind our conscience by the oracles of God, by the revelation of God. And preachers and teachers of God's Word, we should speak remembering that we speak the very oracles of God. And this absolutely annihilates and destroys storytelling preaching. It absolutely destroys, I got an idea, let me find my cross-references pulled out of context kind of preaching. It absolutely annihilates it when you think that if you have a speaking gift, and there's lots of them that you can under, it's a general category. If you have that speaking gift, you speak the very oracles of God. And so you come to this text prayerfully, dependently. You come with a hermeneutic of submission to what the text says. Even if you don't like it nor understand it, it says it, that settles it, I preach it. You may learn to love it 10 years from now. You come studying to get the meaning of the original meaning of the author to to find out what God's Word says, and you teach and preach that meaning because you remember, God has gifted me not to share my own opinion. You don't want my opinion. Trust me. I change it every day. You don't want it. You want the Word of God. That is no small thing to attend to then when you hear the Word of God. Ought you get up in the morning and be here? Yes. You should be here to hear the Word of God. A divinely enabled conduit to dispense God's grace, speaking the Word of God. What is the mark of a faithful preacher? Let me tell you something. My favorite preacher was S. Lewis Johnson. S. Lewis Johnson, probably never heard of him. He received a lot of criticism in his ministry. 
but he received some encouragement along the way. And one of the, he said the most encouraging compliment he ever received regarding his preaching ministry was this. One uh, man said to him, an older man, said, Dr. Johnson, what I appreciate about your preaching is this. You pay pure attention to the text. Because when we pay attention to the text, we open up our mouth, we speak for God, and God gives you grace through his word. Bring them the book, preachers, if you're listening to me. Teachers of God's word, Sunday school teachers, parents, bring them the book of God. Bring them the oracles of God. Forget your own opinion. Pray that God would cultivate a love for his word. That's the first general category. Second general category is serving gifts. Instead of using your lips to proclaim God's word, you're using your hands and feet to serve others, to dish out God's grace. The gift of mercy, the gift of giving, the gift of administration, the gift of helps. I could go on and on to those categories of gifts that are under the serving gifts. One thing is certain, you're going to need strength that God alone can supply. You know what that means physically, humanly? If you're doing this without God's strength and the power of the flesh, you will wear out serving others. Am I right? Can I get an amen? You will wear out. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. The gifts of service are not fleshly displays to get something or to earn something from others or from God. Their service performed not by human energy to improve your status in the eyes of the deacons and the elders, because that is exhausting and taxing upon the soul. But a spiritual gift is one that is enabled by the power of God himself in serving others, to give them a taste of God's grace, of his goodness, and help them to be clothed with the very strength that God supplies through your service. That is exciting, that the very mundane cleaning of toilets, setting up of utensils for the glory of God and the good of this church is being enabled by his strength for the good of others. Now, a couple words on this. This list is not exhaustive here. Is it serving and speaking? But I think it's a great overall arching category of the gifts. There's other lists of gifts in the New Testament. Take the time to write these down. Okay, so just write these down. There's four main lists. Are you ready? Write quickly. Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. Ephesians 4, 8 through 12. 1 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 28. It was read today. 1 Corinthians 12. Romans chapter 12. Verses 6 through 8, Romans 12, 6 through 8. And then there's another list in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. But so I just put all of 1 Corinthians 12 there. There's a couple of lists in 1 Corinthians 12. And then our passage. Now, here's what I want you to know about this. This is, my, this is where I land on this. You may disagree, that's okay. It's not the primary point here. There's four lists, and then there's this general list by Peter that puts them in categories. 
because the lists are different, and because there's other special gifts, like the gift of celibacy, for example, in 1 Corinthians, I don't think that the lists are exhaustive. And that makes sense to me when I read the term manifold grace of God, various grace of God. Praise God, His gifts through His people are just as varied as the type of trials that we run into. Various trials, various gifts. So I don't think it's exhaustive here, these lists. I think it's unique, and God gives them. So the lists are not exhaustive, and you can chew on that. Number two, discover your spiritual gift. If you have one, let's figure it out. You say, how do I know what gift God has given me? Now we're getting to the very thing you wanted to talk about at the end. How do I know what gift? I think you should be careful to to rely on your own subjective impression on how you are gifted. Be careful with that. While While that may play a little bit of a part and maybe, you know, some sort of a gift sheet that you fill out might play a little bit of a part, I think there's even a much better way. Instead of this, although maybe there's a part there, instead of this, let's start with Peter's words and develop a settled conviction that you have a spiritual gift. We've got to start there. Most of you, it's like, most of you are wondering about that, and so you can't get on to the next step. You have a spiritual gift if you are a believer. Then I think the next step would to take those references this afternoon or this week with the list and read them over and take some notes about what you see there under the broad categories of speaking and serving. Read what's there, okay? Then, as you're reading, begin to pray for God to show you to reveal your own gift or gifts. But then don't wait for six years. I just don't know. I don't know if serving in the nursery is for me. Who does? Start by serving. You want to know how to determine what your gift is? Start serving. Start serving. I begin, we we believe... We discover our giftedness, sorry, by serving. In fact, do you realize that the whole body, each member of the body is commanded to minister, listen to this, in many of the gifted areas, whether he or she possesses that particular gift or not. Did you know that? All Christians are called to exercise faith and wisdom and knowledge and exhortation and giving and care. So let's start somewhere. Let's go to Grace Group. Let's come to the church Let's get involved and let's start being obedient to God's word. Let's start obeying the one another's of the New Testament, all 38 or however many there are of the one another's of the New Testament. That's what I mean is love one another, bear one another's burden, confess your sins one to another. Start doing those things and looking for open doors and praying for opportunities to serve. And don't restrict serving in just in areas of your perceived gifts. My theology teacher, Kevin Bowder, says well, quotes, service is regulated by the needs of the body, not our own need for self-expression and self-assertion. 
This would be pride, end quotes. So take some risks. Take some risks. Step out, begin to experiment, and give some time and effort to various gifts. What are, the, what are some great contexts for gifts? The one we just preached on, hospitality. Great context. Grace groups, a perfect context for people to use spiritual gifts and begin to evaluate these things. In fact, this fall, there will be so many different opportunities to serve um, opened up, and maybe they were already there, but opened up and communicated so many opportunities to serve here. In fact, Roxanne Martin and Karen Olson are our new volunteer coordinators. If you want to start serving and start exploring, reach out to them. There's a table out there today. Reach out to them and jump in and find an area to serve. Come to our semi-annual membership meeting this fall. It's going to be on Sunday, the 26th of September. Come and you'll see other opportunities there to serve. And then when you start serving, what energizes you? What do you enjoy doing? Where have you been effective in your service for the Lord? Where has the body been built up by your activities? And seek evaluation of that. Go to, go to a brother or a sister that, that you know and that can be honest with you and say, hey, what do you see in my life? What do your pastors think? And all these things rely on God. And remember that in order to exercise your gifts, you're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to walk by faith. Spiritual gifts are God working to dispense His grace through you. It's His words. It's His strength. Therefore, we must pray and depend on the Lord. And remember that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And I like what Dr. Bowder said again. Listen to this. Quotes, faith is more important than giftedness. End quotes. Faith. And that ties into our last point before the Lord's table. Number five, the purpose of gifts. Whoever speaks, verse 11, is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Why? What's the purpose of the gifts? So that, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The ultimate purpose of your gift or gifts is the glory of God. The text says all things are for the glory of God. And what he means is the four I just talked about. So, sober-minded prayer. Why? for the praise and worship of God. Sin-covering love. Why? For the fame of God. Joy-filled hospitality is meant to put God's name, to put His attributes on display in your community, to your church, as you show the very love of Christ that is welled up within you. That is why it's through Christ. You show others the fame and name of God. All four of these essential activities that we engage in 
are for and to the glory of God. And that tells us something about the nature of these gifts, doesn't it? For, if they're for the glory of God, then they're not about us. They're not about you at all. They're about others and God. They're about God, and so they're about others. It's not about your abilities. It's not to get praise from people. It's not for your own name or reputation. Listen to this. It's not for the sake of this organization, this church. Did you hear that? It is not for the sake of Grace Community Bible Church that you serve. It is for the glory of God. For it is God's word that we speak. It is God's strength that people are seeing. Not our strength. It's not not our words. It's him. Spirit of the living God working in us. That is why Peter says, through Jesus Christ, we have entered into the possibility and privilege of glorifying God by using our gifts only through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are only conduits of God's grace to others. If we have, unless we have first received that grace from Christ, we can only give grace to others if we have experienced the grace of Christ, the full forgiveness of all of our sins, being clothed with his perfect righteousness so we can finally rest and take that criticism. We don't care. Are you going to make it to heaven? I'm a doormat. Wipe your feet off on me as long as you enter into glory. I'm safe in Christ. I'm his child. He's never kicking me out of his home. And when we are holding on to the manifold grace of God in the gospel, then we are propelled for the glory of God to give grace to others. And therefore, if gifts are through Jesus Christ, listen, then the best way to employ our gifts is to trust our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why this text begins, the end of all things, is near. Because our hope is fixed on the revelation and the glory and the rest and the relief to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we pray, so we cover, so we practice hospitality, and so we serve others with our gifts, all for the glory of God. So, It's time to get off the spiritual unemployment list. It's time to take a job in Christ's church. Why? Because I want you to? No, no. This is the oracle of God. And all God's people said, like Peter did right in this passage, amen, which means it's true. So be it.